Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Okay. Hi. Hi. Um, you're just about to show me something. Um, yeah. This this book, nobody can see it. No, we could describe it and they can guess what it is, or we could just tell people. <laughs> it's a, it, it is my, it's one of the copies that I have of Frederick Buechner's book, The Sacred Journey, mm-hmm. uh, which has played a really significant role in my life. Yeah. Um, I got introduced to Frederick Buechner by a friend of mine when I was in a really desolate, low place in my life Mm. 45 years ago or so. He Mm. sent me cassette tapes of Frederick Buechner giving these lectures that um, this book is based on. Buechner gave the lectures at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And then they were later transcribed and put into book form. And the mm-hmm. book is called The, Sac- the Sacred Journey. Yeah. And I was re- I fell in love with Buechner. I used to brag that I owned everything that he has ever written. Mm-hmm. I, that's now no longer true. I own a complete, big, huge bookshelf full of his writings. I own his novels and everything that he wrote up until the later part in his life. And I felt like he began to kind of repeat himself a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, he's a brilliant writer. He was too religious to be taken seriously by the quote yeah. secular press and too secular to be taken extremely serious by the religious press. Yeah. So he kind of fell into that, that gap. Yeah. But, uh, since uh, we're teaching a theme that your artwork, which will soon be forthcoming, yes, <laughs> is going to decorate the, the website and the previews and summaries that go out. Yeah, making making sacred the already sacred journey. I haven't put the word already in there. I don't yeah. know whether. Yeah. Making the just, journey sacred. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I just thought that we would begin with this, and this yeah. this Sunday we're going to have a dialogue kind of in response to what I did Sunday in mm-hmm. introducing the theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we might we might talk about our understanding of sacred, yeah. and then um, maybe maybe prayer. I don't know I, about that. Yeah, no, actually, as I've been writing two things, um, so I've written quite a bit, and um, two things, or, or three things, rather, myth, the power of myth is coming up, um, defining the sacred, and then that that immediately makes me relate, ask myself about my relationship to prayer, and how does that fit into uh, experience and understanding of the sacred and or um the journey <laughs> if you will um so well, yeah 
Oh, we can talk about prayer on Sunday. I mean, yeah. I would love to, to talk with you about that and our experience of what we mean by the word prayer, what we mean by the word sacred. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I have a harder relationship to prayer than I do to the any concept of God. Like, I, I don't, I, it, so it, it's funny that I stumble more with prayer um, in some sense than I do with um with the concept of God, because I've just sort of come to accept that like God to me is substitute word for reality. It, there's, there's no separation between reality and, um, and God to me. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I would encourage people to do who are listening to this or who will listen to us Sunday, and I may mention this is Go to three people that you mm-hmm. have a good relationship with mm-hmm. and ask them what their understanding of God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's absolutely a good exercise. And everyone might say something different. Everyone will say something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've got how many people on the planet? Seven billion and change. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just take a quick survey (laughs) i bet you're gonna have a lot of different definitions of that Uh and and, um frankly it was when i was a student in seminary that on my own i got after running down many dead ends in Mm. the, the christian church in all its permutations at that time that I was aware of. This is in 1959, 1960, 1961. Um, I got involved in Buddhism mm-hmm. because um, Buddhism has a way to um, practice or help people practice non-duality that the Christian faith barely talks about yeah. and didn't didn't really start talking about in our time. Now, early, 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 before the the Constantine got a hold of the movement, this is not true. But um, Thomas Keating really was the one who brought non-duality back into the practice of of Christianity with his centering prayer movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was in seminary, there was no way to think about how you might nurture a relationship to, quote, reality. Um, you know, prayer was asking for something. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was that was it was not a helpful practice. Yeah. It's um, I, I think I love this quote by Frederick Douglass, um, who, who freed himself from slavery and became an abolitionist and spokesperson to end slavery, uh, and really finally got the ear of Abraham Lincoln. But his quote is, I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my feet. Mm -hmm. And so that, that really resonates with me that, Prayer isn't asking and waiting. It's doing. It's being. It's um, it's an it's an, almost an action more than it is. Um, you know, if if 
I think it's so interesting how we have come to think of prayer as kind of, uh, I've always related to it in terms of who is God's favorite, <laughs> you know, like, uh, people who get their prayers answered have our favorite, our favorites hmm. of God, you know, and, and I, and I think that that's some of the old ways that I think religion has been traumatizing. And I'm using that with a lowercase T is that, um, if you, if you just do it right, you know, God, God will bless you. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you remember after, after Ike and then Harvey, there was so much language around like, well, I prayed for my electricity to come on and it did. And, you know, it, and so it kind of had, there's some events like that bring out this kind of um, magical thinking. Um, I prayed away the, the tornadoes. I prayed away the hurricane. I prayed for my electricity to come back on. It did, but there's if just as many, if not more people who may have said the same prayer and, and it wasn't answered. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of, um, that language of like, well, I've been blessed. My prayers were answered. It, mm -hmm. it, it arouses in me some pretty dirty language. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really. And so my, I, I understand that. I agree with that. Um, and um, so um, I am a professional religious person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's not uncommon for people to tell me in the process of what's going on with them, their concerns and so forth. They asked me if I would pray for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you say, I of tell, course I will. <laughs> of course I will. And mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that prayer is not asking some external God in the sky to intervene and do something. Mm -hmm. You think it's just mindfulness bringing somebody to mind, having something in the forefront of your mind that it, it is holding somebody up in loving kindness and compassion and expressing my wish and desire that they be well, that they be peaceful and at ease, that they be happy. Mm -hmm. And um, now I'm going to ooch over into what Carl Jung meant by synchronicity. Mm -hmm. There And what Iliadelio right. meant by entanglement. Mm -hmm. There is mystery around us that we do not understand Absolutely. and that we simply can consciously be aware of that we are participating in it at some level without being in control of it. Mm -hmm. So that is a fund. I fundamentally agree with that, right? Like there's no mm -hmm. arguing with there's more in the universe that we can't see than we can see, right? Mm -hmm. There's more that we don't know than we do know. Mm -hmm. um, 
And there's also this idea of, of energy that can't be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that is a direct correlation with how we've been religiously brought up to think about prayer, but there, everything has a frequency mm-hmm. and we tune in. It's almost like dialing on a radio. We tune in to different frequencies at different times. Right. Mm-hmm. Um when our energy follows attention kind of thing. So that entanglement, I believe is more evident when it is, when our energy is sort of wrapped around whatever it is that's being presented to us or whatever it is that is entangled with us, which really is to say we're entangled with everything, right. but we, we so- can't possibly have the brain space to sort of be with everything all of the time so that, you know, um, specific things come up at specific times. So I raised a question Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is there something rather than nothing? Because mm-hmm. nature abhors a vacuum, and so do we. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that explains it? No, it doesn't explain anything. It just... It just um, we, we know we are by what we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we were nothing, we couldn't have this conversation. You mm. know, I mean, we're dipping into some metaphysical conversations, but um, nothing can't do anything. <laughs> so, I, you know, I th- this is getting a little bit of a uh, feel, but I read a uh-huh. quote this week and I'm I don't have the source of in, but some somebody, so some really, really, really smart person said recently that giving uh, humans the power to think may, be, may have been the worst idea ever. <laughs> we are we are not we are not handling it well, are we? Well, we definitely don't seem to be very interested in critical thinking um, or or depth thinking or even didactic thinking Um, Mm -hmm. you know it's um yeah yeah so we're going to talk about our definition of the sacred on sunday Mm -hmm. uh you know we we need to make sure that the guy giving the sermon at the 8 30 service doesn't go over because that means you'll start by yourself. Yeah, that's right. Tell him to keep his words to a minimum, please. <laughs> uh, he, in my, in my experience, he is not very good at that. Ah, yeah. so set a timer and just stop when the timer says goes off. Um, yeah, I, I have a favorite myth about this, about what is sacred, about how to define sacred. And it's funny, you know, it's like we can only, I can only imagine defining it by using illustrations that define it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a favorite myth and or idea, notion, poem, scripture that sort of points at the sacred? Mm, I'm sure I do, but nothing comes to mind at the moment. Mm. So what is yours? Mine is the Hindu um, myth around where where shall we put the div- divine so that humans can find it. And there's a discussion 
among the gods um, saying, well, maybe we should put it in the sky. And they say, no, no, they'll search high and low and they'll find it there. Well, let's put it deep in the ocean. No, they'll search high and low there too, and they'll find it there. Let's put it deep into the mountains and into the darkest cave. Nope, they'll search high and low and they'll find it there. And then Brahma says, let's put it inside. And they'll never think to look there. Mm -hmm. And it's it. So in that story, not only does it point to the sacred is here, right here in you, in me, but it's also in the sky, in the ocean, in the mountains, in the great cosmic expanse that we live in. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's everywhere and deeply embedded also. Mm-hmm. So I, I said Sunday in the, in the talk that eventually I wanted to get around talking about religion mm-hmm. and um, when I was in the seminary um, one of my professors said that when somebody said to him in, in talking about their attendance in a worship service oh I can worship God just as well while I'm on the golf course or while I'm fishing or whatever and he said that his response to those people who said that was two things one is do you and the answer is no mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. uh, to just an excuse and then he 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 said that, um, and I don't necessarily agree with this wholeheartedly, but I do understand what he's talking about. He said that that um, you people don't don't worship, and I want to. We need also to talk about what that means yeah. because my my understanding of the sacred is that whatever we mean by the word God does not need demand ask request or anything like that worship uh, to, to, to put that aside and talk about, about what ritual can can mean uh, mm-hmm. in a few minutes but what my professor was talking about was somehow somewhere there has to be an initial encounter mm-hmm. that people then struggle the rest of their lives if they want to to make sense of mm-hmm. now um you got to also, without judgment or any sense of elitism, take into consideration that there are not a whole lot of people who are interested in the kind of thing that you and I are talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're interested in, is there a beer in the refrigerator and what's on TV tonight? And hopefully it'll be a professional ball game. Well, I do love those too. Um, <laughs> um yeah, you know, it's, I think that that is, it puts us in an interesting place too, because it doesn't mean to say that if we're asking these questions that we're somehow better, right? If we're mm-hmm. thinking through this, that we're somehow more sacred. And and mm-hmm. I think that that's what I want to get really clear about is it. this is not a um, a judgment of who's more or less sacred than another, who's more or less holy than another. Um, 
each and every being has the possibility for reaching their highest potential of their their beingness. But not every being reaches their highest potential. Well, I would say that not every being has that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, not every being has that opportunity. And even sometimes when they might be defined as under-resourced or not having the opportunity, still might reach it, right? Still, you know, so it doesn't mean that we have Mm -hmm. to have a house with four walls and um, live in a middle-class type of environment in order to reach our highest potential. There's many people who have and don't have any of those things, right? But- Mm -hmm. But I think the, this is where it can feel really like an ego massage to go, well, if we're asking these questions, then we're being our most sacred selves. So we've just set up this binary again that somehow, right. you know, um, yeah. there's this, you know, there's this Aristotelian idea of potentiality and actuality. Um, does that ring a bell for you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that every kind of bit of matter has potentiality, but its formation, how it evolves, what it becomes is its actuality, right? And and I, and even though some of that thinking is flawed um, be, because he was talking about a preeminent God and sort of rankings of soul, et cetera, et cetera, there, there is a potentiality in everything. And maybe there is something wise about the concept of reincarnation that over time, all matter evolves. Who knows what our material substance will turn into in a thousand years, you know? And uh, so matter as a whole is just always evolving. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, so there's always potential for matter. I think, there, Brian Swim says, what happens to a pile of volcanic ash when you leave it alone long enough? Becomes a giraffe. Mm-hmm. Becomes a whale. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So there's and potentiality there, in everything. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. There, there, there seems to me, and I this is out of my field, this is more in your field, but it seems to me that the arguments are increasing that that pile of volcanic ash has consciousness. Uh, the potentiality for it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I want to be real clear with people about is that in talking about making the sacred journey sacred, we're going to be doing a lot of deconstructing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do deconstructing without also at the same time doing construction. That's right. Yeah. Put something in place of something that, you know, uh, for example, uh, and again, this is an ad for mm-hmm. the sermon that will be given at 8 30 and 11 this Sunday. Um, one of the things I'd really want to deconstruct is how many people view, understand, and use the Bible. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yet, I think the Bible is a wonderful resource, like a family album that includes the journey mm-hmm. that our ancestors over centuries have made. And it includes some pretty bad photos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. some family albums that I've looked at, you know, 
kids have bad haircuts and <laughs> that's also part of what's in the bible the bible is not a sacred book and, and you know that it's used infallibly or anything like that but it i, I the bible is is contains a lot of valuable insights tools and experiences yeah as do many sacred texts i would say all sacred texts right um and then, the, you know, gosh, then we get into the discussion of, well, why isn't Mary Oliver's book of poetry considered a sacred text, right? And, um, and so then we have to ask the question, well, what defines a sacred text or not? It, you know, the attentiveness, the attentiveness to life as it is, to me, is prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the attentiveness to life as it is, is a practice of the sacred is a sacred mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. How we write about it, how we discern, how we tell stories about it is what differs from person to person, from um, uh, from religion to religion, from practice to practice, right? From culture to culture. Right. So knowing something about how what we are referring to as sacred text is that mm -hmm. that's interesting because the way we are talking about it implies that there's some there's some texts that aren't sacred. Mm -hmm. There's some writings that are certainly not wise and useful. Mm -hmm. They're not. They don't fall into the category of what the Buddhists would call skillful means. Yeah. But the, theoretically, uh, we can be open to Mary Oliver's writing beings right. considered sacred if we understand it in the way that sacred doesn't mean that we're partitioning off what isn't. Yeah. Uh, I want to, I, I'd also want to acknowledge that there is a whole lot of stuff in this world that people have desecrated mm -hmm. that need to be reclaimed. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that's going on, for example, in American culture right now is an overdrive belief in the value of, of redemptive violence. Yeah. Uh, that I think responsible people have got to speak out against that. Mm -hmm. Well, this country has sanctified that, right? And this is, um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I, it's really, it's interesting. These philosophical discussions are always challenging because we can so easily arrive at a place, well, it's all relative and everything has merit. Um, and this is where I think you've talked about this so often in the past is this, this ability to have discernment versus judgment. We can discern what is wise and good, um, where we currently are, uh, from what is not wise and good. Um, we don't have to judge what is not wise and good. We just have to say that's still in evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this, this thing over here named America is still in evolution. It's not reached its highest potential, most like I hope, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and this, gosh, everything goes everything goes back to Jacob wrestling the angel. <laughs> it's process. It's process. We are all in process, and we don't understand what that process means until we can get enough beyond it to be able to look back onto it. Mm. 
I don't mm-hmm. think people in the moment understood the significance or impact that Jesus's teachings would have at the time that he was alive. It's still in process, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's where it's really hard to kind of like get outside of our own bodies and minds and say, okay, we're just in, we're just part of this process, this giant process of the arc of time, whichever direction it goes, we're all embedded in that. Mm -hmm. And yet we have very deeply personal and autobiographical relationships to it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think I said to you the other day that, um, Still, my favorite language for that is this language of autonomy and embeddedness. We are embedded in this entire process, and yet our process is also deeply personal, mm-hmm. deeply our own. So I want to go, we have a, just a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. I want to go very far afield and ask you a personal question. Okay. It's not, it's not about you, but it's a per, it is a really personal question. Um. You mentioned um, Frederick Douglass a minute ago, and there is another man that you like to refer to who is uh, the African-American mystic saint that said... How Thurman? Uh, Thurman. Mm-hmm. Thurman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also have mentioned uh, Brian Stevens. Brian Stevenson, yeah, I love him. Brian Stevenson, mm-hmm. uh, all right. The, the, I'm just mentioning those three. James right Baldwin. <laughs> Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Those are really uh, some very valuable prophetic voices. Yes. And and yet they have not gained the status in our mm-hmm. culture of. A Nelson Mandela mm. that he gained in his lifetime in his culture, mm-hmm. or say a Desmond Tutu, mm. right? And I'm wondering, what is it about our culture that keeps these very necessary prophetic voices from coming to such a forefront that they get? that they are able to solidify and bring together a people mm-hmm. like Mandela did, like to some degree Tutu, uh, Mandela, Desmond Tutu did, like the Dalai Lama seems to do. Our country is in need of some prophetic guiding light or we're going to kill ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where we come back to the Brahmin story it's it's within and that withinness is part of our process that is part of what we have to acknowledge we have to not fear what it is that we have within so that it can be brought forth didn't the gospel of thomas have something about that too yeah absolutely and and so i don't know that i think that these men that you just mentioned have not had as deep of an impact I think what we lack in this society is some ability for interiority, some ability for, we can criticize South Africa all day 
for apartheid without looking at how apartheid is happening right here. Right now. Yeah. Why are the jails so full of black and brown men? Why? When they make up a, a much smaller percentage of the population than white men. Because we have a commitment to structural racism. Yeah. So it's amazing to me. As a, that, as a culture. Yeah. We could fight <laughs> against the Nazis in Germany and not look at anti-Semitism in our own backyard. Absolutely. And it was happening. <clears throat> so to me, that is less about who is our guiding light than where is the interiority? So I uh, just came up with a title for what we're going to do Sunday. Okay. Um, so last Sunday it was this God Still Dead. Mm -hmm. This Sunday is, uh, could it be uh, God is in you? Are you dead? <laughs> that's a great, that, that, boy, that's a great, that's a great second line uh -huh. because when we come alive it, it, it was one of the early uh, theologians of the early Christian movement said the glory of God is a human being fully alive mm -hmm. all right all right all right okay I gotta go all righty uh, all right so uh, God is in you is the title right yeah. okay yeah See you right. Sunday. See you Sunday. <laughs>